We are in Colossians chapter 3, and um, we are talking today about families and about relationships in general. And the, the passage is laid out, and it's perfect for this. We're in Colossians chapter 3, and a little bit we're going to get there, um, starting around verse 18. But what we're going to pick up first is talking about just relationships. Um, as a parent, I have always gotten it right. Every single time. Sherry, on the other hand, I, I'm bringing her average up. No, I'm just kidding. We have made plenty of mistakes as parents. We continue to make mistakes as parents. Um, there was one time in particular, and I've told this before, so if you've heard it, just act like you have before. But um, years ago, Daniel was a very little boy. Luke was very young, of course. Daniel was like a toddler, maybe like three years old, something like that. And we were up visiting for Christmas. We did some Christmas caroling with my in-laws' church family. We were going out, and one of the places we were stopping was a nursing home. And we were all in there. We were singing in this nursing home, and it was you know, a big crowd, and the, the, the patients were all spread out in this like cafeteria-type area. And he had been with Sherry, or been with me, and he wanted to go see Mom. So I let him walk over, and he walked over to Sherry. I saw him you know, get with her. And then a little bit later on, as time goes by, he says he wanted to see Daddy. And I was on the other side of the room still. And so she sends him over to me, but he never makes it to me. And we're wrapping up, and everybody's leaving. And we get on the bus, and, and I'm like, where's Daniel? And she said, you got him. And I was like, oh, I ain't got him. I mean, he ain't invisible. <laughs> and I was like, we don't have him. And we look back towards the building. And there's this little toddler standing at the door, banging on it, crying on the inside, can't get out. I mean, just screaming, terrified, terrified. Sherry, Sherry, what have you done? <laughs> it was just as much my fault as it was hers. But we, we always make mistakes. Another time I'll tell you real quick is um, I forgot. I think we, <laughs> we've probably done it with at least one, if not two of the kids. But we were driving along, and we, you know, put the baby, uh, I think it was Andrew, maybe even Josiah, in the, the car seat, and we're driving down the road, and we're getting a little bit, getting ready to get out of the neighborhood, and all of a sudden, the baby stands up to the seats looking at us like this. Did not buckle the baby in. You know, we put him in the seat, so that's a start, right? That's at least, we tried. We didn't snap the buckles, he just gets out, and he's like, hey, what's up, y'all? He was enjoying life, but that was not the safest way to travel. On the other hand, there I was raised, and my parents basically threw me in the trunk, and you know, it's supposed to be cool, right? And anybody, I didn't have one personally, but my cousins did, but they had a station wagon that had a little seat in the back that flipped up and faced backwards. Anybody remember that? They had this, and I thought it was the coolest thing for, in, in the world, you know, we're sitting there, we're, we got a totally different trip than any of the rest of the family, right? Everybody else is looking forward, we're looking back. We're like making faces at people, and you know we're like the tail builders on the on the ship, or you know doing all this kind of stuff. But that was the kind of stuff we did. Not by care, very collision. I mean, cars back then it was just you know if a little car now hits a big car back then it just explodes. It wouldn't be any danger. But anyway, it's, it is what it is. But my point is this: we make mistakes as parents. We make mistakes in every relationship that we're a part of. You know if. Relationship that we probably shouldn't be in. You know, that's the way we gotta look at it. Because all of us are imperfect people. And is this important to people? Absolutely. Because look at how many books are bought, whether it be a paperback or whether it be on Kindle. People buy countless, I mean countless numbers of books on dating, marriage, parenting, how to influence others, how to lead other people, how to succeed in the world, and all that boils down to what? relationships. 
It boils down to relationships. Billions of dollars are spent trying to hack relationships of all types. We want to know how to have better relationships if we care about it, but yet sometimes we fall short. Here's the problem. The problem is that many of our relationships still look like a train wreck, right? They look like a train wreck. They look like 2020 sometimes. I mean, they look like a dumpster fire. We, we try our best, but we make mistakes, and we, we don't interact well at work. You know, we don't interact well at home. I mean, you fill in the blank, and we struggle. So the question is, if we're so interested in finding out the answers on how to have good relationships, what are we missing? And I want to phrase it this way. Think about it this way. Thinking about our full series, how do you have fulfilling or just simply full relationships? In a few short verses here in Colossians chapter 3, I believe the Apostle Paul starts to touch on something that's really important. And we could go a lot deeper. We're going to kind of hit the highlights really quick, but at least get the discussion started. He talks about, in just a few short verses, he talks about husbands and wives, parents and children, even employers and employees, if you will. We're going to get to the, the, the fine points on that here in just a second. But the first part is this. Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. Husbands and wives. It says this. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. That scares me to say that. But anyway, verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. This is a passage of scripture that many people are bothered by. In, in the real world, in the way that we often operate, the way our relationships go, I understand completely why this passage can be troublesome for people. But as it always, God's plan is perfect. God's plan is perfect. His wisdom and his, his timing is perfect. And so he's got a purpose for sharing this with us. You've got two commands here in this brief passage of Scripture. It says, wives submit and husbands love. Now, here's the thing. Oftentimes, in our relationships, our relationships can be very one-sided. Am I right? And so, if a wife were to submit without a husband loving, it's not going to go well, is it? If a husband loves and the wife doesn't submit, is it going to go well? No, it's not. It's not going to go well. But the, the challenge is there all the same. The scripture says, wives submit and husbands love. Now, we can get a better understanding of this if we look at a companion passage of this in the book of Ephesians. It's another letter to the church at Ephesus, and it says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, beginning there, here's what it says. Very similar, but a few little nuanced points. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, let's think about that context. Let's think about this in that context. When a husband truly loves, like the command is given in combining Colossians and Ephesians together, I'm not talking about a feeling. If you've been around me more than a few minutes, you've probably heard me talk about that. That love in itself is not a feeling. It is not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's a decision that we make. Our byproduct, the, the, our feelings and our emotions are a byproduct of that decision that we're called to make. If we're living and loving the way God has called us to live and love. But here's the thing. When a man truly loves, 
Now, I thought about singing when a man loves a woman, but I didn't want y'all to get all excited. I knew that would be just too much for y'all to handle. But the point is, it's not just a, a ooey-gooey relationship love song type thing. It's saying when a man truly loves, what's the kicker there? Loves like who? Like Christ. It says like Jesus. Like the husband, it says, is, is the leader of the wife, just as Christ is the leader of the church. And Christ did what? How did he show his love for the church? Gave himself for her, the church. And we give ourselves. If the husband is loving his wife like Christ loved the church, then there can be no fear in submission. Because that is not a love or that is not a relationship where somebody is going to be domineering or controlling or manipulative or, or hurtful or make someone be less than or, or put them back and, and hide them. That is not the kind of love if that person, if that husband is loving like Christ. Because ultimately, the way I like to define love in terms of loving like Christ is this. Thinking and doing the best for someone else. Thinking and doing the best for someone else. Sacrificial love is what love really is in the example of Jesus. If a husband, as I've said, I'm going to say it one more time. If a husband is loving his wife the way that Christ loves the church, then he won't run over her feelings. He won't diminish her. He won't make her less than. And when a woman is willing to submit to a husband that's doing his best to try to do that, it empowers a man to be who he's called to be. I don't know if you want to say it out loud, <laughs> but sometimes us guys can we like to chill a little bit, don't we? Sometimes you ladies can get frustrated because you know there's things that need to be done, and your guy is not willing to get up to it. Is that honest? Y'all a bunch of liars. <laughs> you know, I mean, we, we can struggle with that. Not everybody all the time, but I'm just saying sort of generally. And we struggle with that. And so we, we feel like, you know, women may feel like, okay, I need to go and I need to do this. But what we need to do is we need as men to step up and stand up and be the leader that we're called to be who loves and submits to his life, even to the point, it says, of death. And sometimes that may just mean death of our desires, death of our wants, death of our wishes. But most importantly, it means even our ultimate life. If we're willing to love our wives that much, and when a woman is willing to submit, it empowers a man to be who he's called to be, a loving, strong, sacrificial leader. And that's, that's what we're called to do, is have this relationship that God has instituted and is powerful. And I'm telling you this, when husbands and wives strive to do this, we're not perfect, are we? But when we strive to do this, the world will not be ready for it. I'm telling you, it will change this world as we strive to do this more and more in every relationship. We also talks about another kind of relationship here. He talks about parents and children and vice versa. Look at verse 20. It says, children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. Let's stop right there. Amen? No. That's, that's not where it stops. I was not dumb enough to make that joke with the women submit to the husband part. I, didn't, I made, made that joke then. I made it with the kids and the wives and the children. All right. Verse 21. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. There's also a companion here in Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to go ahead and read that. Verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. 
Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Very clearly, children are to obey their parents. And it says, interestingly enough, so you will live. Can all parents say amen? Yeah. Um, we all know that quote. Uh, we all know that quote. You know, I brought you in this world and I take you out. You know, that's the, the way we feel sometimes as parents when our kids are not listening. But it says that if you want to live and you want to prosper, obey your parents. It's a true statement. When we live outside of God, when we live outside of what our parents want and command, we suffer and we can even shorten our lives. Can't we? You know, you know, our parents aren't perfect and our parents may not be godly, but hopefully they're teaching us right from wrong and they're doing all they can to, to point us in the right direction. But when we live outside of God's commands, no doubt, we will shorten our lives and we will make our lives more difficult than they need to be. Read Proverbs if you're wondering about that. The book of Proverbs, almost, it seems like almost every proverb has something about, you know, being undisciplined or unruly as a child and, you know, and about what we're supposed to do as parents and how we're supposed to treat children and teach them the correct way. But you know, there's also the challenge there that we know we, we want to stop with sometimes. But fathers, and we can understand mothers, it says, don't provoke your children to anger. You know, don't provoke your children to anger, lest they become discouraged. And then the Ephesians passage says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You know the best way to provoke your child to anger and frustration? What's that? <laughs> Take away a tablet. Take away a tablet. Yeah, that's probably second. That's probably second. But you know, honestly, in the long run, the best way to, to frustrate your children and make them angry is to live a double life in front of them. That really is. And I stand here as a parent who makes a lot of mistakes. But I try my best not to live a double life. I, I try my best when I get it wrong to humbly apologize to my kids. And I've had to do that a lot more than I wish I had. <laughs> but what we need to do is show our children that we love God more than anything. And when we screw up, and we will screw up, we let them know how you respond when you screw up. You don't hide it. You don't cover it up. You repent. You turn back to God. And you turn back to that person that you've offended. You heal that relationship with repentance and with a humble heart. That's what our kids need to see. We don't need to tell our kids, do what I say, not what I do. If you want your child to be a hellion, go ahead and just live that life. Go ahead and live that life. Live, say one thing and live another life. Go ahead and do that, and that's the outcome that you'll get. Kids will see through that hypocrisy quicker than anything in the world. So do all you can to show them a consistent life. And, and hear me again, hear me again. I don't want you to miss this. I'm not saying a perfect life. But show them how you respond when you stumble, when you fall, when you sin. How do you respond? How do you repent? How do you change and come back to God and submit to His grace? You see, if we don't live what we say, if we don't enforce standards that we don't adhere to, what we do is we tell them Jesus is important, but we don't live it out in our priorities. We tell them that Jesus is important, but we don't live it out in our priorities. And that will cause anger and frustration in kids more than anything you can imagine. Maybe not in the short run. Yeah, it is the tablet. Half the amount of time that's going to make them angry. But over the course of their lives, Living a double life in front of them and not being consistent in your faith and in your walk with Christ 
will frustrate them more than anything. And then this next next section I want to talk about where Paul talks about, I, I call it bosses and employees. And I'm not trying to be dishonest. I want to talk about it for just a second. Depending on what translation you use, you may see the word slave. You may see the word bondservant. I'm using the English Standard Version this morning, and it uses the word uh, uh, bondservant, I believe. If I'm not correct. Yeah, bondservant. And, of course, when you see the word slave, that brings up very, very strong feelings. It, I mean, it brings up such strong feelings. And there have been even people been over time who have accused the Bible and accused, therefore, by default, the church of being supportive of slavery. Because it talks about how to do. But one of the things I want to do is I want to talk about the context and the understanding right here really quick. The Bible is not pro-slavery at all. It is not pro-slavery. First off, to understand the context, as this was written, slavery at that time was primarily made up of prisoners of war and then oftentimes people who were indentured servants. Sometimes they would either be told by the courts to be work as a slave for a part time to pay off their debt and then they could be free. Or sometimes even people would sort of allow themselves to be taken to pay off a debt and work off a debt. It wasn't typically the exploitation of a certain race or a certain people group. But that doesn't make it any less important. It doesn't make it any less important to think about this idea of owning people. And we, we, excuse me, we would be remiss right now if we don't talk about the fact that slavery is still a thing in our world. It, it, it's horrible. God was never for it. He did not want it. But he does say this is how you live in this situation. The Bible shows throughout the Bible. The second thing is this. The Bible shows God's plan to redeem this world through Jesus. This broken, messed up world where we hurt each other. And we even say that we own people from time to time. And it's going to be fallen until Jesus returns and redeems it completely. But one of the things that we learn throughout the Bible as well is this. Even in our horrible circumstances that we may find ourselves in. There's still an opportunity to live for Christ. There's still an opportunity to live for Christ. And so we take this passage here and we can learn how to apply to any relationship. We can learn how to apply this in our time and our relationships. And the, the first thing is this, based on verse 22. Let's look at that really quickly. It says, bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. And here's the idea I want you to wrap your mind around this morning. Circumstances don't define you. You know one of the mind-blowing things that I never, ever understood until I was studying for this particular time today? I was going through, and I looked at that word where it says earthly masters. As I'm reading out of the English Standard, your version may be a little slightly different. But where it says, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. That word earthly, you know what that Greek word is there in, in the original? It's the word sarks. Now, you may not, may not mean anything to you, but the word sarks is often translated flesh. And, and that is to be understood as the stuff of this world, your body, your sin, you know, everything that is you know, a part of who you are in your physical, your, your struggles and all this sort of stuff. And so when it says, obey everything, they are your earthly masters. It says it's your flesh. That was just eye-opening for me because it's such a cool thing to know that they may control your body. They may have a say over what you do with your hands. They may have a say what you do with your time, but they cannot control your spirit. No matter, 
and I'm saying, think of this in a broader context, not just in the terms of, of masters and slaves or bondservants or employers and employees or, or people who would try to use you and abuse you in a relationship or take advantage of you or, or, or misinterpret what you do and try to use your words against you. I mean, I'm thinking of every context. Realize it doesn't matter what they do to you. It doesn't matter what they say to you. Is that They don't have control over anything but the physical. They do not have control over your spirit. They do not have control over the part that has been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And one day they won't even have control over your body. Because when Jesus comes back, He will redeem us and we'll be changed in the flash and the twinkling of an eye. Those that are already dead will be raised up and will have new bodies. They do not have any say. And so remember this over anything and everything. Is that no matter what circumstances you find yourself in, no matter how horrible these circumstances are, they do not define you. You are not owned by what people say about you. You are not owned by what they try to, how they try to control you. And that gives me hope. That gives me hope. Paul later on, as we see in our Bibles, he talks about Onesimus, a slave in the book of Philemon. And he challenges him to seek his freedom. And he even vouches for him to try to get him set free. And so make no mistake, the Bible is not pro-slavery. But the Bible is pro-living your life for Jesus, no matter what horrible circumstances you find yourself in. We also see there in verse 22, the second half, check your motives. Look at verse 22, part B, if you will. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So remember this. Check your motives in every situation, in every relationship, whether it be husband, wife, parent, child, co-workers, friends, neighbors, whatever it may be. Check your motives. He says, don't do this. Don't serve them for eye service just to be seen and put on a good face or a good front. He says, do it with a sincere heart, not as a people pleaser, fearing God. Because people are never fully satisfied, are they? If you try to go around pleasing people, there will be people that will be pleased, but then there will be other people that will be angry. Am I right? You cannot live your life as a people pleaser or you will be crushed under the weight of it. Because what satisfies some angers others. Am I, am I speaking truth there? What satisfies some angers others. So sincerely serve God when you serve and live and move with people. Keep your focus on heaven, not on earth. Don't go around saying, I'm going to just do the right thing, but it's not going to be in my heart. He doesn't say that. He says, let your heart be doing what your hands are doing. Let it be wholeheartedly as you serve people. But remember, you're not serving people. You're serving Jesus. And you're pointing people to Jesus by the way that you serve. Even when you're mistreated, even when you're treated horribly, you're serving Jesus and pointing people to him. And here's another idea we see in verse 24 and 25. Remember God wins in the end. Remember that God wins in the end. Verse 24 says, Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. We understand with God. This is the key, I believe, for any relationship, folks. You may be mistreated. You may be used. You may be taken advantage of. But God's going to make it all right in the end. He's going to make it all right in the end. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. We don't have to get even. And if we can strive 
sometimes they might even get angry. Because they're not truly even attacking us. They're attacking the goodness of God. And we need to remember that God will make all things right. Trust in His goodness. Trust in His time. Trust that He can use your pain for a purpose. When someone is mistreating you, when someone is, is treating you horribly, you can use the way that you respond. God can use that to point people back to Him. He can bring other people to Him. See, full relationships are loving relationships. And loving relationships are built on Jesus. That's the key. Loving relationships are built on Jesus. And that's our challenge. That's what we're called to understand. Is that no matter what our relationships, uh, how, how they are, how they're going, if we focus everything on Jesus and realize that when we're humbly serving Jesus... He is going to be glorified even in this bad circumstance. Even when people spit on us, even when people mistreat us, even when people reject us, even when people turn their backs on us, we can stand and hold our heads high because we're not serving them, we're serving Him. So I want to challenge you guys all today, whether you were a parent that came and stood up here, or you're somebody who raised your kids years ago, or you don't have children. Whoever you are, whatever relationships you're in, focus your mind and your heart on living every day, every relationship, fully surrendered to Christ. Fully surrendered to Christ. I'm reminded of the differences that Jesus can make. And as we talked about Nino's to Mexico, I've been down there numerous times and I've seen those children who many of them are now adults and I've heard their stories of when they were raised in a situation that was not honoring God. I've told many of you before about there were a couple of now adults that were children brought there to Ninos and they were brought after their mom was caught trying to drown them in the river for the third time. But they came in and they were shown the love of Jesus. And now they're faithful members of the church. And they're, they're great members of society. And they share the love of Jesus with other people. But that only comes through Christ-centered relationships. The people that took them to be their own children. Who they were not their children. And they showed them the love of Christ. And I've seen little boys that were brought in. Who didn't even know what a toilet was. And they used the bathroom on the floor beside the toilet. Because they'd never seen one before. But they were raised up in the love of the Lord in a place like Enos. I say that to say this, is that we can redeem our relationships and lives can be changed. When we show the love of Christ, it changes not just one life, but another life and another life and another life. And so that's what the church is called to do, is to redeem our relationships and submit them to Jesus so that people will see Jesus through us and in us and one day know Him as the Lord and Savior. So today, if you need Jesus, pray that you come. about surrendering your life to Christ, about trusting in Him, believing in Him, repenting of your sin, confessing Him as Lord, being baptized into Jesus, to lay it all down at His feet. But then also the challenges for those of us who have already done that is to make sure that every part of my life, every relationship I'm in, whether I'm a parent or a co-worker or a boss, an employee, whatever it is, to surrender everything to Him so that every moment can be redeemed by God. I'm going to stand, I'm going to worship. If you got something in your heart, I'll pray.
ready to share. If you're watching online, reach out to us in a private message and let us know about how we can pray for you. But let's surrender every relationship, every moment to God because full relationships are loving relationships and loving relationships.